Hey, Cryptonauts, welcome back to another episode of Cryptocurrency Chat. I'm your host, Jake Javarelli, for the 453rd episode, if you can possibly believe it. John, Blockchain John is not with us because he's at a, an event that's personal to him. So I'll leave it at that. I'll let, you ex- let him explain if he wants to. You can see on the front page here, links to our stuff. But because it's not really the intro thing anymore, we're just going straight into the news. And since it's Sunday, October 23rd, we have this week on crypto Twitter. Ripple wrenches SEC documents loose. Mango Markets Hacker tweets trading tips. Let's see what it's all about. It was another week. Quiet. Quiet week for crypto crisis. No news is good news, chimes the old saying, and this week it proved especially true. Turns out that Bitcoin's recent flat prices are an indication that it is currently less volatile than equities and has been throughout October. Which is good, despite the price being so low. Right, still under 20 grand. Over on crypto Twitter, everybody was talking about the Balloon Dior, or annual French soccer awards for male players. As you can see below, there are giving out ledger hardware wallets instead of awards. Turns out the awards are stored in the device in NFT form. Very zeitgeisty, but not so fetching on your trophy cabinet. Here's an image of that. You can watch this video if you like. All the links will be in the description below. Notorious hacker Abraham Eisberg, or Eisenberg, who claimed he was acting in the interest of Bengal Markets depositors last week when he stole over $100 million U.S. million from the crypto trading platform, returned $67 million of it and got away with the rest. Tweeted some hot tips for crypto tra- trading on Aave, that is, if you're a billionaire. And here is his tweet. Tom Emmer, a Republican congressman from Minnesota's 6th District, shared some alarming news about the United States Securities and Exchange Commission staff turnout. How exactly does Gary Gensler plan to be the sheriff of Cryptoville if he can't even police truants at the SEC? And here's Tom Ayer's tweet. Twitter Canadian Gabriel Haynes on Thursday protested the, quote, lack of up only in cryptocurrency, end quote, mood. And here is his video with his little post. The Great British Pound was looking a little weird, pardon me, a little wild that day. Pound volatility nears Bitcoin level on Bloomberg. Magnus Granith, who goes by the Twitter handle Hodlnot, won a lawsuit in Norway against a man named Craig Wright. On Thursday, Wright was, has long claimed to be Bitcoin's pseudonymous creator, Satoshi Nakamoto, but Granith and many others have challenged his claims. Autonaut declared his victory to his 71,000 followers in this simple tweet, as you can see. Also, Thursday, Stuart Alderati, I hope I pronounced his name correctly, the general counsel of XRP's progenitors Ripple, announced that Ripple's defense had finally been granted access to a trove of internal SEC emails and documents. This is his discovery phase, as it were, during the trial. Ripple has been facing a lawsuit from the regulator for almost two years after the SEC alleged that XRP was being sold as an unregistered security. Then here is his tweet. The materials in question dubbed the Hinman documents concern former SEC Director William Hinman and his 
much publicized speech in 2018 declaring that Ethereum, like Bitcoin, was, quote, sufficiently decentralized, end quote, and not subject to federal securities regulation. On Friday, it came to light that Tron founder Justin Sun might be one of the smoothest movers in crypto. And here's his quote. Justin Sun is a macro master in crypto and what he's been doing. Bitcoin maxi Corey Swan had a bone to pick with FTX's CEO that day. Corey Swan's little don't trust Sam Bankster F. That's a Sam Bankman Fried <laughs> making fun of his name. The DCCPA, the big topic of the United States, is the Digital Commodities Consumer Protection Act, as I mentioned before, a bill outlining how the Commodities Futures Trading Commission would regulate the crypto industry. The DCCPA was introduced by Senators Debbie Stabenow, Democrat of Michigan, and John Boozman, Republican of Arkansas. Uh, wait, was it? No. Um, in uh, August, and thus garnered support from Coinbase and FTX CEO SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried, for offering an alternative to, the se- to what several have perceived as a regulation by enforcement strategy from the SEC. However, many of the DCCPA's critics have described it as DeFi killing and have heavily criticized Bankman-Fried for supporting it. On Wednesday, Bankman-Fried begged to differ. You know, we talked about this on Wednesday, actually. Several hours later, a draft copy of the in-progress DCCPA was uploaded to GitHub by Gabriel Shapiro, a crypto attorney and general counsel at Delphi Labs. He just wants transparency. That's his tweet. The Aptos incident. Before launch, newcomer blockchain Aptos was touted as the safest, most scalable layer one blockchain. The project was founded by developers who had previously worked on Facebook's abandoned cryptocurrency, DM. Many hailed Aptos, a potential Solana killer, but Monday's kickoff was fraught with enough problems to turn even the most heedless investors off. We covered crypto Twitter's reaction to the affair that next day. It was widely perceived as a shambles. The blockchain appeared to have a far lower transaction throughput than promised, and a large portion of the token supply, or roughly 49%, was allocated for developers and private investors, giving rise to quips that Aptos is a blockchain catering to venture capital. Sounds like Solana, doesn't it? On Tuesday, Aptos co-founder and CEO Mo Shake Mo Shake? Mo Shake. Mmm, sounds good. Addressed <laughs> people's concern in a thread. Here's his tweet. But one investor was still cynical on Wednesday. That's dcinvestor.eth. So, that's all we have to say about crypto Twitter. Lots of stuff going on. That was this whole week wrapped up. Let's move on to this week in coins. This week in coins, more fiat, or pardon me, flat prices, as we talked about just previously. Bitcoin less volatile than stocks. Now, just as a moat, I didn't say that before, but Tim Huckey tends to write these articles. So, this is Decrypt.co by Tim Huckey. It was the fifth consecutive week after either flat prices or losses, but flatness suddenly looks a little more promising than usual. New data from Keiko finds that Bitcoin is less volatile than equities for the first time in two years, as Bitcoin appears to be decoupling from the stock market. Is this good? Is this bad? We don't know. Probably, probably good. We'll see. Bitcoin and Ethereum each barely budged up less than 2% in the past seven days. Bitcoin currently trades, at least according to this writing, 19202. It's up a little bit in the last time I checked. While ETH changes hands around 1300 at the time of this writing. 
The past week's biggest losers among the best-known names were Solana, which dropped about 6% despite continued indicators of NFT growth on Solana, XRP, which dropped 4% despite Ripple's general counsel, Stu Alderati, I just, Alderati, excuse me, uh, touting that Ripple obtained the SEC emails it had been fighting for. Cardano, also down 4%. The largest gain of the entire top 20 was a mere 4% rally in the past week for Polygon, a.k.a. Matic. Regulators continue to dig into crypto. The SEC and CFTC, that's a funny way of putting it, the SEC and the CFTC are investing bankrupt crypto hedge fund 3 Arrows Capital, or 3AC, to see whether it violated rules by misleading investors about the strength of its balance sheet and not registering with the agencies, according to reports at the start of the week. 3AC was one of the biggest casualties of the industry's liquidity crisis, which has been ongoing since Terra's collapse back in May. At the time it filed for bankruptcy, 3AC owned at least 3.5 billion, or pardon me, owed, at least $3.5 billion to its creditors. On Wednesday, Berlin's crypto integrated bank NURI, NURI announced it was shuttering operations due to the unsuperable challenges of attracting investment or an acquisition bid, as in no one wants to buy them and they can't sell what they have. Formerly known as Bitwalla, NURI filed for insolvency in August this year after cutting 20% of its workforce as the firm struggled with the bear market, as we all have been doing. Nuri also referred to now-bankrupt crypto lender Celsius as one of our main business partners, whose insolvencies worsened the situation significantly and put us over the edge. Nuri says its customer assets are secure and unaffected by the company's insolvency and that they can continue crypto trading until the end of November. On Wednesday, a copy of the In-Progress Digital Commodities Consumer Protection Act, as we spoke about in the previous article, was uploaded by Gabriel Shapiro. Uh, it was also introduced by certain senators both from both sides of the aisle on the U.S. Uh, Congress. And we've already actually talked about this stuff. So all this stuff was mentioned previously. I'm not going to go over it again. Let's move on to Dogecoin. This article by Ryan Ozawa. Dogecoin Layer 2 Doge Chain up 228% for the week. Wow, that's rather impressive. Layer 2 for Dogecoin. Who says we need anything on Dogecoin? Now that was a meme coin. Anyways, I'll read the article. Dogecoin, Doge Chain launched earlier this year to bring smart contract capabilities to the Dogecoin community saw its trading value up 200%, rather over 200% in the past week, and more than 70% within the last 24 hours, according to CoinGecko. The high also represents a 75% premium over a month ago. From 0.0004 on Friday, Dogechain climbed as high as 0.00176, as they say, 228% on Sunday, notching it that huge gain over the last week, price point not seen since September 12th. Here is a tweet regarding Dogechain. The spike in value is notable as Dogechain has lost 90% of its value since its all-time high in the end of August. Doge chain has declined steadily over those two months from 0 0.004 to 0 0.0004, so 10% down, or 90% down. Doge chain is the EVM, or uh, was it Ethereum Virtual Machine Compatible Layer 2 blockchain on the Polygon that's inspired but separate from Dogecoin, the eminently popular and mirthful meme coin, that's Doge of course, with the Ethereum merge, Doge became the second largest proof-of-work cryptocurrency by market cap behind only Bitcoin, because Ethereum's gone. 
But the use case is limited to storing value and making payments. Dogecoin lacked the utility of cryptocurrencies like Ethereum, useless in fast-growing crypto sectors like NFT, DeFi, and gaming. Dogecoin was created by Dogecoin enthusiasts to extend the technical cable. Doge Chain, rather, was created by Dogecoin enthusiasts to extend the technical capabilities of the sprawling community. The Doge Chain community has initiated a discussion of a, quote, significant burn of the total supply of Doge Chain tokens, end quote, with figures ranging from 50 to 80 percent. Doge Chain, which uses wrapped Doge as gas, sorry, that's really funny to me, launched on August 16th, rocketing in value from 0. 0.0045 on over $50 million in trading volume within two weeks. It has a $46 million market cap as of this writing at 427th on CoinGecko. Doge Chain is available to trade in about 20 marketplaces with KuCoin, Gate.io, handling most, almost 40% of all Doge Chain, Chain, Doge Chain trades. My bad. Dogecoin. That's not a word. Dogecoin. Yes, it looks like Dogecoin with, a, with an H in there. And the chain values do not appear to be correlated apart from a spike in Dogecoin value up to 0.086 the same day that the chain launched. Coin has also hovered between 0.07 and 0.06 ever since. So, yeah. Um, Doge chain layer 2 functionality giving smart contracts to the Dogecoin capabilities. Thank you, Ryan, for that article. On to Jason Nelson's article about the hacker of Olympus Dow. Hacker steals $300,000 from Olympus Dow, then returns it all the same day, probably to prove a point. Olympus Dow is the latest target of the crypto cyber attack as the thief made off with 30,000 ohm tokens worth about $300,000 early this morning, but the attacker either had a change of heart or was a white hat hacker all along, and they sent back the funds to the DAO hours later. Community members were alerted to the exploit early Friday morning on Discord. Quote, this morning an exploit occurred through which the attacker was able to withdraw roughly 30,000 ohm from the ohm bond contract at bond protocol. End quote. The post read, quote, again, this bug was not found by th three auditors, nor by our internal code review, nor reported for our Emmanuel Phi bug bounty. End quote. Olympus said that a phase rollout put a, quote, limited amount of funds at risk, end quote, and the amount stolen was a fraction of the potential $3.3 million bounty the attacker would have been able to claim on bug hunting website Im Immunify for reporting the exploit. So why did they do it? And then just turn it back. Maybe they did it on accident? We have close, have closed the affected markets on all other funds, uh, and all other funds are safe, Olympus added. In the announcement, the Dow team said it was explore, exploring the best way to fully compensate all affected bonders. Just hours later, however, Olympus Dow updated the community with better news. All the tokens have been returned. Funds have been returned to the Dow wallet, the update read. read. We will communicate on the Ohm bond payment and plan moving forward in the coming hours. Launched in May 2021, Olympus Dow is a decentralized reserve currency protocol based on the ohm token ohm tokens are backed by an, a basket of assets such as die and frax held in the olympus treasury since january of 2022 olympus has offered a potential maximum 3.3 million dollar bounty focused on olympus smart contracts and applications to prevent the loss of dow funds according to the blockchain security firm peck 
The attack targeted an exploit in the Bond Fixed Expiry Teller smart contract. Smart contracts provide the code that powers an autonomous decentralized apps. Here's Peck Shield's tweet regarding that find. We you need to clarify that these are not Olympus DAO contracts, Peck Shield tweeted. Instead, the affected was written by Bond Protocol, which was used for the pilot launch of the Bonds. And yet another tweet from Peck Shield. So, yeah, man, maybe it was, I, it feels like an accident to me, so I'm not going to go into it further. Here we go with the next article from Andre Bogansky. Azuki, proof of skate, not state, but skate, like a skateboard, auction draws $2.5 million for NFT-backed skateboards. I think this is brilliant, and that's the reason this article is in this tonight's readings. NFTs are often bought as flat images, but a bidding war broke out on Friday over physical skateboards authenticated by an embedded chip. This is exactly what I'm into. This is totally cool as it comes to NFTs, in my opinion. The auction, hosted by Chiru Labs, Chiru Labs, creators of the Azuki brand, allowed people to place bids on Ethereum, or rather in Ethereum, to secure one of eight skateboards and amassed $2.5 million in ETH. Each of the skateboards is plated in 24 karat gold. That doesn't sound very right over me. And weighs 45 pounds. Yeah, that's ridiculously heavy. According to Chiru Labs, which recommends that owners do not try to ride them. Give it to Braille Labs. They'll write it for you. The highest bidder paid $400,000 for one of the skateboards compared to the $260,000 for the lowest successful bid. Cheer Labs tells Decrypt that there were 145 total bids on the skateboards. And here is a tweet from them. Actually, several tweets. The uniqueness of the skateboards are assured via a physical chip embedded inside of them, which can be scanned by a smartphone, smartphone to verify chip ownership, pardon me, ownership of the board and experience Chiru Labs is calling scan to own. I think it's, it's kind of smart actually. Hopefully that no one can break the chip or hack it. The most expensive board went to an NFT collector named Dingling, <laughs> who already has a massive collection of NFTs, includes 70 Azuki avatars, according to Looks Rare. After the auction ended, he called the Azuki community the most degen community he's ever seen on Twitter. And here's Dingling's tweet. If one of the owners ever parted ways with their blinged out board, Chiru Labs says another person could scan the embedded chip to transfer the ownership to another wallet. The boards are representative of Chiru Labs' introduction of a physically backed token, or PBT, not NFT, which looks like, links a physical item to a digital token on the Ethereum blockchain. The company said the technology can be used to prove authenticity of physical goods in a way that leverages blockchain technology. Brilliant. This is absolutely awesome. I hope this happens more often. In A PBT can also be used to keep track of who has owned an item in the past, which could be useful in world art for establishing a piece of provenance. Azuki is a top-of-the-line collection when it comes to NFTs on OpenSea, according to the Marketplace website, ranked fifth with a cumulative value of 174 ETH, around $228,000. As of this writing, Friday's auction dwarfed the namesake collection of Cheerio Labs in terms of value. Friday's auction is not the first time Cheerio Labs has dabbled in physical goods. Earlier this year's owners of Azuki avatars were airdrop tokens that could be redeemed for physical jackets with a design that combined American and Japanese street culture. 
tokens being tied to the sale of physical items is new is not new to the web3 space earlier this year luxury goods maker tiffany and co released a series of nfts that came with jam encrusted pendants made in the image of crypto punks the house in germany was also auctioned off on OpenSea as an nft companies have also explored the use of nfts as a way of establishing secure supply chains for physical goods Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I hope more of this happens. I am personally, that is Jake Jeverly, trying to um, roll out this concept in the form of metal tokens of various types. We'll see how that goes in the near future. Probably going to be starting on Ravencoin. Anyways, love this. Love this. Awesome idea. Very much looking forward to more of this in the space. Honestly, this is where NFT should have been in the first place. And if you guys haven't heard me talk about it before, I highly recommend checking out Upland. A-U-P-L-A-N-D. Uh, Upland and me, I think it's their website, uplandandme.com, uh, where you can buy and trade um, virtual properties throughout the world. I think we're up to like 25 different cities, including Brazil and Portugal, not just the United States. I'm very much looking forward to seeing them roll more of this out. I've been an investor in it for over a year. Love Upland. Great use of EOS tokenized properties, virtual properties uh, of, the, of the planet. I mean, I, I'm a cartographer or a cartograph. Uh, someone who loves maps. So it's something I'm really into and great use for NFTs. Anyways, moving on. NFT creators have earned 1.8 billion US dollars in royalties to date, according to Galaxy Digital. This is another brilliant purpose and point of NFTs. This is written by Kate Irwin. A new research, research report out today from Mike Novarat's Galaxy Digital found that Ethereum NFT creators have been paid a total of $1.8 billion in royalties from secondary sales on marketplaces like OpenSea. In the report, Galaxy Digital researchers Sal Qadir and Gabe Parker found that NFT creator royalty rates on OpenSea, the top overall marketplace by trading value, have doubled over the past year on average, jumping from 3 to 6% of the sales. Researchers also discovered a consecration Consecration? Concentration of royalties among the 10 entities, data that suggests NFT economy may be more centralized than some may have thought. Not a good thing, but we're still in the big early days of NFTs to some degree. The top 10 took home nearly half a billion dollars worth of royalties, accounting for 27% of all Ethereum NFT royalties earned. According to the report, which relies on data from Flipside Crypto, 482 NFT collections collectively earned 80% of all market royalties, probably because they're the more popular ones, right? NFT unique blockchain tokens that signify ownership are typically first minted or sold on third-party website developed by NFT creators or via a dedicated launchpad available from certain marketplaces. After the mint, NFTs can be resold through marketplaces like OpenSea, Magic Eden, Looks Rare, and others. Board Ape Yacht Club creator Yuga Labs takes the top spot, top spot? On the list with the most NFT royalties earned, the $4 billion startup has expanded its focus to developing blockchain games, has raked in well over $147 million in royalties alone. That's not surprising considering that Yuga Lab's massive other side metaverse land mint earlier this year resulted in a $561 million in total sales in a mere 24 hours. While the NFT marketplaces are still popping up regularly, OpenSea still makes up the lion's share of all NFT resales, according to data from Dune Analytics and the Galaxy Report, which states that OpenSea makes up 80% of all Ethereum NFT marketplace volume. 
When minting NFT projects through OpenSea, creators can choose the percentage of royalties they'd like to receive from secondary sales. Those creators have collected, uh, collectively earned $76.7 million to date in royalties from such sales. Measured together, that's enough for a third on Galaxy's list. Other notable NFT creators on the list include Cheer Labs, as we spoke about earlier, through Azuki, Proof, Moonbirds, and Proof Collective, and the teams behind Sandbox, Doodles, and Gary Vandercheck's V-Friends, which is very recent. No, no pun intended. Citing a separate data sheet focused on the legacy brands, Galaxy highlighted Nike as the top earner at $91.6 million worth of earnings. That list includes various non-Nike brand NFT offerings like Rick RTF at KT, a digital studio that Nike acquired in 2021. Other brands on the list include Dulce and Gabbana, Gucci, and Adidas. Historically, royalties have been praised as an important part of the NFT ecosystem, providing a steady stream of income for creators to develop, ver- uh, continue developing various plans on the project roadmaps, whether that's creating a video game, throwing token gate parties, token gated parties, which is also a brilliant thing. Blockchain John is very much interested in the token gated concept or hiring more community moderators, for example. And here is a tweet regarding. Kadir and Parker call royalties a core value proposition of NFTs, but also admit that royalties are not currently enforceable on-chain without sacrificing some principles of decentralization and self-custody values many uh, crypto proponents hold dear. Is it hodl dear? On-chain royalty enforcement arguably triggers a new kind of blockchain trilemma, not entirely unlike the one Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin has discussed at length and rival platform Algorand claims it solves. Instead of on-chain enforcement, it historically has been up to centralized NFT marketplaces to choose to enforce creator-imposed royalties. NFT royalties have become the subject of much debate this month. Pseudonymous Solana NFT creator Frank made the decision to eliminate royalties from his Degods and Utes profile in picture NFT collections entirely on October 9th, calling the move an experiment. Here's his tweet about removing royalties. His move came following a rise in Solana Marketplace, says either ignoring creator royalties or letting traders choose whether or not to pay them. By not paying royalty fees to creators, NFT sellers typically avoid paying 5-10% to cut of the secondary sale price. Ultimately, top Solana marketplace, Magic Eden, announced last week that it would follow suit and make paying royalties optional after losing significant market share to rival platforms. Quote, we understand this move has serious implications for the ecosystem, end quote, the marketplace said on Twitter, adding that it hopes to, quote, see the new standards that protect royalties, end quote, developed. Some on Twitter have criticized Magic Eden for its decision, calling it, quote, by far the worst decision, end quote, and a, quote, desperate grasp for market share, end quote. Metaplex, creator of Solana's current NFT standard, said on Thursday that it is developing a new standard that can enforce royalties on-chain. See, that's smart. That's what they need to do. They need to rid of this stuff that we can go completely decentralized exchange and not worry about whether or not royalties are collected by the centralized exchange. As the debate surrounding NFT royalties rages on, one thing's for sure. Abandoning royalties means creators would be parting with a substantial source of passive income and potentially leaving millions on the table. So I have three more articles I'd like to read, um, but I'm mostly just going to talk generally about them because I haven't really gone through them yet. 
but um, we do have a little bit more time in the episode. I just want to remind everybody before I get to the last three articles here, which I really find interesting, we do have a coin tree. You can check it out for donating to us. We appreciate any donations you can make. Of course, we appreciate subs and likes on all of our content when you have the capability of doing so. You can also check us out on Odyssey. I highly encourage this. It is a decentralized platform. Well, Odyssey is not decentralized, but Library is decentralized. As well as checking out our merch when you get the chance. So... From Kate Irwin, another article about the Fire Festival Island is being turned into an enclave for crypto millionaires. What is this? Back in 2017, the Fire Festival failure, a lot of alliteration there, run by convicted felon Billy McFarlane, he's out of jail by the way, was a drama that it was turned into a Netflix do- documentary. Now a new company wants to put that Bahamas Island back on the map. <laughs> like people want to go back there, right? With NFT gated luxury villas. This sounds like a bad, bad, bad thing. In my opinion, this is just me. Not sure this is a good idea. That island itself has people living on it already, so it's not cool. A company called AGIA International claims it will sell 60 ultra-luxurious pavilions and villas on the Great Exuma Island and will be the only community strictly sold via NFT. Still sounds like a scam. These buildings will range in size from 1,000 to 6,500 square feet. I don't know how they're going to do this. Per the release, I'm sorry, I'm going to stop commenting on it. It just sounds scammy. According to the project website, aspiring island residents will have to cough up 10 grand just to get on the allow list. Oh, man, this sounds like a scam. Or pre-sale on the project list uh, for the project. Homes are expected to range in price from $1.5 million to $5 million. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm going to call this a scam right now. Prove me wrong. Moving on. Stablecoin issuers should be subject to regulatory oversight, says FDIC chairman by Sujith Samaraj. FDIC is taking a closer look at crypto-specifically stablecoins, according to its acting chairman. The Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, alongside the federal banking agencies, is expected to issue industry-wide guidelines for financial institutions dealing in crypto and FDIC's Martin Gruenberg. The FDIC is a consumer protection agency to keep people's money safe. At the Brookings Institute event on Thursday, Gruenberg said that the FDIC has been investigating the risk of cryptocurrency since April 2022. I thought they'd been doing it longer than that. In fact, Gruenberg specifically lauded stablecoins to their ability to offer cost-effective real-time around-the-clock service. I agree. I'm glad that he made that point. All payment stablecoin issuers, just like banks, whether federal or state charters, should be subject to prudential regulation and oversight, he said. As a agency gains better knowledge of the industry, it, alongside other federal banking agencies, will begin offering supervisory feedback on to financial institutions. So um, I'm going to go on that one. It's going to make the comment real quick here just to basically say that um, when it comes to stablecoins, we all know what happened to Terra. Assuming we didn't, Terra collapsed because it wasn't properly backed. I think that this is fair to do. I don't know if it's ever going to work. But so you're going to have something big enough like Tether, uh, BUSD, or or CUSD, uh, USDC, or something like that. It's going to be something. The only thing that bothers me about it is that the U.S. doesn't own this. It's just going to have its own regulation for it. So, finally, Tether USDT will be available for from 24,000 ATMs across Brazil. This is from Sandy Lutz on Decrypt.co. Tether announced Thursday that it plans to make its USDT cryptocurrency the world's dominant stablecoin stale by market capitalization available at 24,000 ATMs across Brazil. Yay! It's great for Brazilians. 
The difficulties and limitations imposed by inflation and a less-than-inclusive financial system have excluded many of Brazil's citizens from being able to participate in the country's growing economy. Paolo Arduino, he's not actually a single-board computer person, Tether's CTO said in a statement, adding Tether tokens to ATMs across Brazil provides the opportunity to include more people in the financial system. ATM users in Brazil will, be, will soon be able to instantaneously convert Brazilian reals into USDT and vice versa and send their USDT anywhere in the world. This will bring major changes not only to the payments industry, but to the entire Brazilian financial ecosystem, said Arduino. So I'm going to leave it at that and just say that I appreciate everyone for listening to this evening's episode here on Sunday, October 23rd, episode 453. Thank you all. Check out our coin tree and our merch shop. And with that, stack sats and hodl. Adios.